0: Well, dear congregation, I would ask you, please, dear friends, to turn in your Bibles, in the New Testament, there to the Epistle of 1 Corinthians and the ninth chapter this evening. After a number of weeks of various meetings and so on, we return now to our regular week by week ministry, consecutive ministry, verse by verse, going through this Epistle of 1 Corinthians. We arrive now. In the last few verses of chapter 9, let me just read verse 24 to the verse 27 again, where the Apostle, by the Spirit of God, writes these things. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. should be a castaway. Amen. The Lord helping me this evening. The Apostle Paul was very concerned not to use his rights as a minister, as a preacher of the gospel, not to use his rights as a Christian, as a preacher of the gospel, to cause any to stumble. He was particularly concerned even not to, although it was his right to, receive uh, support from the church at Corinth. He didn't stand on that. He did not insist upon that. He had many rights. He had a right to take a wife, just as Cephas, just as Peter, just as the others did. But he would not use his God-given office. And all that Christ has set him to do as a preacher to the Gentiles to use it for his own means. He trusted that God would provide all of his needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He understood that sometimes if a church didn't understand that they needed to support him, of course he was a an unusual one, he wasn't in a settled ministry, but he was a missionary as it were, and one that even by the grace of God, established the church here at Corinth as he was there for some 18 months and yet they needed to support him. But he still understood that God would nonetheless provide his needs. If he stood upon his rights, that might cause many to stumble and see that he is purloining, seeing that he is Indeed, out for filthy lucre. Of course, he never was. He was never out for any gain. He said that. He preached willingly the gospel. He was an honest man. In fact, as a missionary, he was often engaged in tent-making. But it is the right of every minister, as we've seen, to be supported by the church. Paul was very mindful in his teaching here on this essential doctrine of Christian liberty and how we as Christians are to use our Christian liberty rightfully. And in many areas of the Christian life, we have to be so careful how we use our Christian liberty. And so Paul, what does he do in this last section? We're going to have a little bit of a review this evening, because it's been a number of weeks since we have been going through 1 Corinthians. But here in this last section, he uses two powerful images. Firstly, the image of a runner, and secondly, the image of a boxer or a pugilist to describe how he himself personally engages in ruthless mortification of sin, Warfare against sin, lest after he himself has preached that he makes his ministry ineffectual. And we've got to be very careful. It is right to have orthodox teaching. But do we realize that even in our orthodox teaching and preaching and declaring the word, we can make our ministry, whatever ministry it is in the church, ineffectual by a very poor witness. And Paul was gravely concerned not to do this, that he would be a castaway. The word here, adochimos, as we will see tonight, can be used in various ways. There are nuances, there are subtleties to this word. Here in the sense, and I'll read to you later on from Mr. John Gill, the sense of the word here, castaway, is would be a man, who would be disqualified for the office. And in fact, his ministry is ineffectual and disqualified because of sin seen in his life by his hearers. And they consider him a hypocrite. This is not the same, and I know the word is used elsewhere in Romans 1, when we think of God, how he gives some men over to a reprobate mind. Well that's a reprobate mind. But here the ministry can be reprobate. The man can be, as he says here, a castaway. He disqualifies himself after he preaches because he is living in a careless way. Here we have it in the form of a negative participle particle. And participle, I should say. And The word here really means worthless, literally and morally. His ministry is looked down upon and frowned, and he is rejected as a true minister of the Word of God if he just lives carelessly. Now, if you just go back to chapter 3, you'll see how he describes, it's very careful to look at this very carefully, a Christian, of course, cannot lose his salvation. But it'll be proven one day whether our work was wood, hay, or stubble, because God will test or try our works. Look at First Corinthians 3.11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build... Upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. When he's talking about every man's work here, he's particularly speaking, he's been speaking about the fact that he sowed the seed, Apollos watered, but it was God that gave the increase. Nevertheless, every man, every minister, His work will be tested and tried ultimately. And if it is no good, it will be burned by fire. But notice verse 14. If any man's work abide, which he hath built upon, he shall receive a reward. Now it says, if any man's work should be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. So man can't lose his salvation. But it's true. That we can do so much damage to the Christian testimony and to all that we're seeking to try to do if we lose our witness and if we use our God given Christian liberty to sin and others call us a hypocrite because we have not lived according to the gospel that we've preached. You know, we can say one thing with our lips, but if our lives say something else, we can do great despite to the gospel and bring shame to the church of Jesus Christ. You remember last week, uh, not last week, a few weeks ago, when we looked at verses 19 to 23. Just look at those verses very quickly there with me. It's needful that we have a little review As we come to the end of this section, I don't want to come to it dry, but in verse 19 to 23, he had been speaking there about how he was willing to forsake his liberty in Christ to be all things to all men. Now, sadly today, as we thought, the modern church has completely turned upside down on its head the words that Paul uh, conveys to us here. The modern church really uses these words as license to be like the world. That's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying here, be worldly, speak and act as a worldly person to win souls. Of course, we can't save a soul. We can't save a single soul. But what he is saying there is he was willing to forbear Many rightful things, including even being paid as a minister. Uh, He was now a free man in Christ, was he not? He was no longer under the ceremonial law, but he still became a Jew to the Jew. He didn't despise the Jewish laws and uh, walk around and say, well, that's a whole lot of rubbish You should grow up, you Jews, and uh, come to grips with things. That was not his approach. Well, he was a Jew before, and perhaps, as we said, he wasn't used to eating pork. But he now even becomes a Gentile, doesn't he, to the Gentile. And he forbears his rights, even his choices, even his preferences. To get alongside the lost. That's what he's saying. Consider all that he was willing to suffer and to forbear his legitimate rights as a free man in Christ to deny himself whatever it was. He's not saying here, you know, as we said last time, as the modern church does today, the liberal church, well, you can... Speak like the world, you can dress like the world. Churches today have sadly even imbibed things like beauty contests to try to win the lost. I've seen some horrific things, as I'm sure you have. Introduce your pet to us, or something like that. Weightlifting competitions, all these kinds of things. Body piercings, dress up parties darts events, bowling evenings. He's not saying here adopt the culture to be culturally relevant. When he says, I made all things to all men that I might by all means save some, he means to be willing to forbear and to suffer for the sake of Christ. Legitimate things that he had a, uh, had a right uh, to, to, to do. He was willing to forbear them. To the Jew, he didn't flaunt his liberty and scorn and despise the Jewish feasts. He didn't. He didn't become insensitive to the Jew. He didn't become cavalier and callous to the Jew. Saying, don't you know better? That he was very gentle. Gentle because, you see, He never wanted to be accused as an uncaring man. As Christians, we should be caring to other people. We should love other people. And we have to be kind to people that come into the church. Even the weaker brother, be kind. Love, is it not the fulfillment of the law? We're told, Romans 13 Now, remember, he's been setting forth this principle since chapter 6, if you just turn back there. And and, uh, the chief end really now for the Christian and really should be for all men is to glorify God. But to glorify God with the God-given liberties that we have now in Christ Jesus as free men. As free men, we're no longer under the terrors of the law. We sometimes sing the terrors of the law with me can have nothing to do. My Saviour's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. We're no longer under the condemning power of the law. We're under the law only in this sense, to frame our lives in an obedient way. The law is not abrogated with the coming of faith. Romans 3.31 Do we make void the law through the coming of faith, says Paul, God forbid. Nay, we establish the law. It's established in the Christian's heart and life because we read there in Romans 8, don't we, that the law was weak in that it could not save us. But God, in the likeness of sinful flesh, sent Christ, didn't he, into this world to take on him, bone of our bones, flesh of our flesh, that he might live for us and die for us And that he might live in us. Why? That the righteousness of the law, says Paul in Romans 8, might be fulfilled in us. That we do not live a self-styled kind of Christian life. We read at least twice in the book of the Revelation concerning God's people. The dragon is especially wroth with the bride. Why? Because the bride... Keeps the commandments of God. And those who enter into that celestial city of heaven, are they, we told in the last chapter, they are the ones that keep the commandments of God. Not for righteousness. Because Romans 10.4 says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to all who believe. We're not under the law to earn a righteousness because Christ has earned it for us. But now the law must be fulfilled in us, because his spirit lives in us. And the spirit of Christ has set us free. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed, free not to do our own thing, free not to use our Christian liberties to do what we want, but free to serve him. That's the Christian life. Now, Paul was no longer under ceremonial law. We're going to look here just very briefly again at chapter 6. He was no longer under, as no Jews were even at this time, under civil law. Because the Romans were now occupying the land. But he is nonetheless serving the law through the hands of a Redeemer. The Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me just show you there quickly before we come to Romans uh, to First uh, Corinthians six, Romans eight three. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, the law was weak to do one thing. Can't change you, can it? Can the law change the flesh? No, it condemns the flesh. It condemns sinners. Romans eight three. God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Whose flesh? Christ's flesh. My sin was condemned in him. He who knew no sin, says Paul, became sin for us. Now notice that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see, those who walk after the Spirit walk in the righteous commandments of the law. So the law is not abrogated with the coming of faith. And the Christian does not have a lawless life now. There's no lawlessness. It's not a self-styled Christian life. The Son of God has set me free, not to serve myself, but to serve Him. And there are Christian liberties that we have. Now remember chapter 6. Just looking there briefly. Remember what he said, all things, verse 12, are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. They won't all redound to the glory of God. And even for the benefit of my soul or the soul of others, will they? Something that is expedient. First Corinthians 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Two principles there. First principle, we thought, is that Number one, my Christian life. It is to be lived to the glory of God. But something else, all the liberties that I have in Christ mean, although I can do anything that is lawful, not everything that I do can be exactly helpful, because there are lots of things we can do, and we can do them to great excess. And those things are sin. We are the Lord's. You can drink to excess. You can eat to excess. You can do lots of things to excess. He says here, I will not be brought under the power of any. Things are now under the power of the Spirit in the Christian's life. Grace reigns now. Romans 5.21 in the Christian. The grace of God reigns. And we must therefore by the Spirit of God put to death as we will consider here tonight the deeds of the body and bring everything under subjection. Under the subjection of God. Of his Spirit. So that we live to the glory of God. So he says I will not be brought under the power of any. It's bondage really isn't it? You know you can be addicted to something. It can have its power over you. Paul says, if you just turn briefly to Galatians 5.1, he says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty or the, the freedom wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Christ has set us free so that we're not in bondage to things. But furthermore, Galatians 5.13 For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty or freedom. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. You can see, you can stand up and say, it's my Christian right to do this or to do that. But you can do it in such a way that it's sinful. That it's wrong. You're standing on your liberty. And this is what Paul is going to deal with here now. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. See, it's not just only serving God, but it's loving my neighbor as myself. It's using that God-given liberty for the glory of God. Now, since chapter 6, as we said here in 1 Corinthians 6, he has been speaking about our freedom in Christ. Remember, he even moved this on into chapter 7 when he spoke about marriage. He said, with regards to marriage, even your marriage is to be used to the glory of God. Husbands, your body now is not your own. It belongs to the wife. And same with the wife. Your body, wives, they don't belong to you, but to your husband, for the sake of a God-glorifying marriage. And even, he moved that into the area, didn't he, of singleness of being a virgin of which Paul was you don't even use that for yourself why you're not your own anymore you were bought at a price that's what he said all things are lawful unto me but not all things are expedient neither will I be brought under the I'm the Lord's I was bought to serve him to love him and to honor him even your body 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. He says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. We must never forget that. Friends, I would that we would remember one thing in this coming year. Never forget that you have the Holy Spirit. If you are born again, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And we can easily grieve the Spirit. And it's to the great harm of our souls and to the church. We were bought with a price, verse 20. Therefore glorify God in your body. And this is what he'll say at the end of chapter 10. Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So he then moved it into the area, didn't he, of what we eat in chapter 8. Remember, he spoke of the weak brother. He said, we all know. There are no other gods. But he said, you strong brother, you be very careful. How you use that knowledge that you have not to cause the weaker brother to stumble. That's not loving. He may even understand in his mind that there is one God like you. But he's still trouble in his heart and his mind. That you eat that and you shouldn't do that. It's just something, there's a stigma attached to it that it offends him. Don't take it. It's your liberty to eat what you want, but not when you want. You can eat what you want, but not when you want. And then in chapter 9 we said he had the right to be supported financially. He had the right to have a wife. And uh, he could preach the gospel. Because God had gifted him. And even free of charge. If that was the Lord's will, that was the Lord's will. He did it willingly. Not out of compulsion. He'd have no reward. but Because this was an honorable service. But now he gets to something really important. Remember, as we said in verse 19 and following, he spoke about really those areas of how we are to forbear things to, to gain others. But now, he's going to address our hearts after we've witnessed, after we've preached, after we've given our testimony to people, our ongoing personal life of holiness how is it because then you see even then you can do great damage to your own witness and to the name of Christ after you have declared the truth how you live makes all the difference it really does So we come to these verses here this evening. And notice he uses two images here. One of a runner and the other of a boxer or a pugilist. Know ye not, they which run a race? In a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. In other words, he's saying ruthlessly. You, you, you so run. And here he's been speaking about his ministry. He's been speaking about how he would be presented as a faithful minister to this church and to other churches and to live now in such a way that he would not be cast away. That he would, They would say, Paul, you're a hypocrite. You're not a minister of the gospel. No, you're not. They which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. He goes by the rules, and he's careful, and he's observant in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown but we do, an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so will fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now let me just briefly... I don't regularly do this, but let me read a little excerpt from Dr. John Gill on this, just to help reinforce what I said. He says here, with regards to, lest I myself should be a castaway, or rejected, he says, Dr. Gill, quote, or disapproved of, that is, by men. The Apostle's concern is lest he should do anything that might bring a reproach on the gospel, lest some corruption of his nature or other should break out, and thereby his ministry be justly blamed and be brought under contempt, and so be rejected and disapproved by men, and become useless as a preacher, not that he feared he should become a reprobate, that is a lost man, as the word is opposed to an elect person. Now, you can't lose your salvation. Paul believed. He said, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that, which I have committed unto him against that day. We know that salvation can never be lost. Paul is not speaking here about a man losing his salvation. Dr. John Gill says, Or be everlastingly damned, for he knew in whom he had believed, and was persuaded of his interest in the love of God, that he was a chosen vessel of salvation that could not be eternally lost. And so on. We could read on more. I encourage you to read. And I believe this is quite right. But Paul here, he he recognized that the individual life of the Christian, whether he, because he's writing here to believers and he's saying, you need to follow me, in my practice paul recognized that an individual life and a character of a man was absolutely vital to his ministry whatever it is and same we all have we all sow the seed don't we in your conversation of life and in conversations with people but you see if if you Live completely contradictory to what you preach or what you claim, or you show yourself to be a different person to what the gospel says it makes of a man, people just turn you off. You know, you can speak most eloquently on a subject. But just be unkind to somebody. Say a few unkind words. People turn you off. And you bring a blight on the church. Paul will deal here with things in his life, as we will read. He brings into subjection the members of his body. That means your tongue. Is your tongue brought into subjection to the word of God? James warns us that not many should seek to be masters. For there's greater accountability, isn't there? And we can do, you know, you can do so much harm to the church by teaching and then living contrary to that teaching. And Paul was so concerned that his life and the life of others was consistent with the gospel that he preached. And this is true, I think, for anybody who's going to be called to An office in the church, whether it be a pastor, full-time elder, a deacon. You look at the qualifications of any of those men. The character of the man comes first. And then the ability of that man to teach second. Always the character first. Read 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7. It's the character of the man that comes first. You see, one minute, all that we have done can be completely washed away. And the reputation of the church and our reputation has become a castaway because of the way that we have just spoken, what we have just said to somebody. We have to be very careful This is what Paul is concerned about. Lest, notice the context, lest after I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. No use. No use. Can't be used. In fact, as I said, we can do such terrible damage We have to make sure that our conduct, dear church members, is consistent with the gospel. There's a time for banter, there's a time that we can cheer each other up, but we are to be people of weight. And not to speak ill advisedly, not to just throw around words, but to live in such a way that people see that we are living with a conscious awareness of God's eye upon us. This was Paul's concern, and this ought to be our concern. You know, I, I am, when I'm done preaching, My great concern is afterward. The conversations I have with people and the conversations you have with people after the services, the whole Lord's Day, we should be guarding what we say, what we do. We can cause so many to stumble. Think of the words of the Lord Jesus. How terrible it would be if we cause little ones to stumble, who expect better of us and who don't see a consistency in our witness. Now we'll look at some things here that he says. I therefore run, verse 26, not as uncertainly So fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Now he's talking about the whole of the Christian man. From top to bottom, head to toe. What is in your head? Because what is in your head may soon come out of your mouth. Some people pride themselves on wit. I often find a lot of wit is pride. And people like to flaunt their wit. I don't think the Lord Jesus was witty. I think he was a serious man. And I want to be like the Lord Jesus. Don't you? I don't like to poke fun at people at their expense. And that should never be the attitude of the Christian. Should never. We, we, can, we can speak eloquent things. We can speak of what becomes the gospel and then yet we finish doing that and we start poking fun at people. And what have we just done? We've shown that the gospel is not being lived out in our life. Paul says, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. James speaks about the tongue, doesn't he? How important that little member is, the tongue. Such a small member. But it's like a spark of fire that can set a whole forest on fire and bring a world of iniquity. Think of the tongue of our Lord Jesus. There was no guile in his mouth. And that's what we need to pray for every day. Lord, there be no guile in my mouth. No malice, no envy, no bitterness. I must exhibit Christ's likeness to people. Otherwise, after I've preached, after whatever it is, whatever seed I've sown, whatever testimony, whatever I'm doing for the Lord, I myself am a castaway. You, you can do, apply this to yourself as well as to Paul. Now work is undone. If our life does not bear testimony to the gospel we proclaim. That's a terrible thing, isn't it? Pride so often causes us to fall. That's the major sin that lurks in our hearts. Wit sometimes just proves the shallowness of our heart. We want to show other people how clever we are and how quick we can make a joke or something or coarse jesting. The Bible condemns it. I remember many years ago a man in the pulpit made fun of another man. Congregations won't want to hear him anymore. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them. But that, let me say, should be true out of the pulpit and in the pulpit. doesn't matter where we are. Let me say the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, isn't it? The sin is not so much the thing we do. But the sin is in me. And it's in you. And what does Paul say? I bring it. I keep it under my body. If ye by the Spirit. Man who cannot control his spirit. Cannot control his temper. he would not be used of God. He can't be used. God will never honor it. He'll never honor a church. He'll never honor a people. Could you blame people? They don't want to belong to that church. Where sin goes unchecked. Romans 6.11, likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body. You know, what we need to do is stop saying, I know, Lord, I've sinned again, I've sinned again. That's easy to do, in a sense, isn't it? I've said that thing again, I've given in to this. No, what you need to do is rear up, as it were, and tell yourself that you have been made so free in Christ. That he has given you his spirit that you can, Paul says, reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin. You can by the spirit, you are so free to put it to death. To don't allow sin to rise up in your heart and to give in to that. Why should you? Why should I? It's important if we love Christ and we love his church. Paul was greatly concerned that after he preached, his life showed something else. He was not a perfect man, and none of us are. (laughs) I'm not expecting perfection. But you know, it's the bed of excuses of somebody who doesn't care for Christ and his church, who says, well, everybody sins. But it should be the cry of the believer, Lord, I, I don't want to do this, and I will not do it. I am free. I'm free to serve thee, Lord. I'm free to honor thee. And I should honor thee with lip and life. It's important again, isn't it? We're reminded of something else here where he says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. After I preached, lest I should be a castaway. Doctrinal orthodoxy is paramount, and we can pride ourselves on that. Whether it's preaching or what we know, even as a Christian, we may not be called to preach, we may be doing other things, and you can pride yourself on truth. Truth. But my friend, if that's all we have, then that's very poor, isn't it? That's not godliness. And that is no witness. Just to simply have the truth and not to live it out is even worse than just having the truth, isn't it? And you don't live it out. This is why we, we have to watch, friends, and pray against temptation. And there are a number of areas as we close where we must be very careful to pay particular attention in our lives. I'll tell you this. Scriptures constantly remind us to grow in the grace, and notice the order, and in the knowledge of the Lord. Grace, live it out. You just have more knowledge. You just become a greater hypocrite. In your life and my life as a Christian, I am to pay, and you are to pay, particular and careful attention to, for our own spiritual safety and perseverance in holiness, God will demand, he does not suggest it, he demands that we place specific restraints over sin. We must, and don't ever use your Christian liberty to sin. Yes, we will not be judged, but the Lord will take our works and never use them if we just live as we want. Every child of God is called to live a life of principled obedience, actively pursuing universal holiness in their whole life, not in just some areas, but in all areas of our life. We must. And I hope nobody would disagree with that statement that I've just made. I trust that there's nobody here who professes to be a believer, would deny that statement and say, well, we are not called to such. Well, we are. The scriptures say, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, we know that that is every true child of God, and he will see the Lord. But there's a sense in which we will not know the blessing of the Lord if we do not live holy. One thing, and you get this from this passage that Paul, by the Spirit, was so concerned about was not programs in the church. You know, we, there's a lot of things we can do this year. But you know what God is chiefly concerned about in my life and your life, my friend? It's holiness. That's, that's, that's what he's concerned about. He says, does he not, be ye holy, for I am holy. First Peter 1.15. He's called us to holiness. And that really should be our chief aim this year. Holiness. And never wanting to cause anybody To have an occasion to speak ill against our Lord because of our words, because of our unkindness. We want men who are weighty. The great need of the church is not so much men who, who know the doctrines, but who live them out and who are godly. That was Paul's concern. That ought to be our concern. We have a godly people. We have a people that are sensitive. Do you you not know that there are people looking in who are not members of the church? They're looking in. And they're looking to see how you live, my friend, and how you speak to them and how you speak to other people, and how you treat other people. I have to remind myself of that. We all do. We will be told in this next chapter, if any man thinketh he stand, let him take heed, lest he fall. We run, so is up to to obtain. And the Lord will give a reward. He will cast crowns before us. But we will say, not unto thee, O Lord. Not unto us, but unto thee. It was him. And it's by him. It's only by him that we're able to put to death sin. But brethren, we must. The church is not to just be a people filled with knowledge but a people that are filled with grace and goodness and kindness and mercy. The Lord has called you and he's called me to be holy. Let us make sure in our lives, friends, in this coming year, that we really are a holy people. That that is our greatest concern. Paul will say to the Corinthians, I would have you as a chaste bride, without spot, without blemish. And that's what we should be concerned about. Shouldn't we? Let us watch our lives, our witness, everything that we do. You know, it's easy to do so many things and we use those things as plasters as it were to put over all the bad things that we do. Easy to do that, isn't it? A lot of unsaved people even do that. Why do this, do this, do this? But what about the sin? The sin that so easily ensnares you and that so easily causes others to stumble. And that when we've sown, we've sown to no gain. And the Lord has to cast away the work. May it never be. The Lord help us and give us all grace and impress upon our hearts and minds to live accordingly. That we might show Christ in us. We may never use our liberty as an occasion to feed our ego, to feed our sinful passions, wrong desires, we might speak words unto edification. My friend, this is what Paul says. Speak unto edification. If something is not going to build somebody up, shut up. Don't say anything. Let our words be few. May God bless his word. Amen.